Hi, I use Arch, and this is episode 107 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds ever. Not quite sure what they're great at, but we do like talking about Linux. So, with me today are three podcasting imposters. Michael, how are you this week? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? And Ryan. Super Bowl pigskin home run. (laughs) Excellent. And Noah, I hope you're over the brush you got um, hammered with last week. It was a ridiculous situation. I thank you, Zeb, and I'm glad to finally have some backup. It's amazing. Good, good, good. So, Michael, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've actually been doing some, uh, trying out this, uh, the video editor we're going to talk about later in the show called Olive. I tried it out for uh, this week in Linux editing, and uh, I'll reveal the results in that segment. Uh, But I actually got, I'm going to blow people's minds in the sense that I got on time for the stream, released the show on time, and was here on this show on time. So, like, (laughs) triple threat. First time ever, and we'll see if I can do it again. Probably not. Wow. You, you are turning a new page, Michael. We are so proud of you. Okay, Ryan, what's new with you? So I had the opportunity to meet Bo Weaver for lunch this week, actually yesterday. It was fantastic. We had a great time. We ended up closing out the store. We were talking so long about Linux and just geeking out. So they eventually kicked us out, and we sat outside and talked about Linux and all of that stuff. Uh, so it was a lot of fun, but it also reminded me that I really needed to revisit my next cloud server, which I highly recommend everybody ditch all the Dropbox and all this other stuff and move to a next cloud server because it's so easy to set up. So Ooh. after that, I also set up a Mumble server because I got sick of Discord. So I, have yes! my, I got my Mumble server set up. And let me tell you something. Me and Dustin, from uh, he's from the Ubuntu Budgie team. We were sitting there in Discord having audio issues, which I've been facing for the last two weeks. Every time we game, whether it's Michael, whoever we're gaming with, somebody's going to have audio issues and can't hear in Discord properly. It's not connecting the mic, whatever. So we go into to mumble. I set it up while we're talking, trying to get Discord to working, drop the server, and uh, you know, create the login credentials, go through the whole thing, set it up. And as soon as he logs in, all of our audio is perfect. Everything works. We game the whole time. No issues. I'm officially switching to a mumble server because I'm done with the Discord stuff. So. There you go. That's awesome. Yep. Nice. So, Noah, what have you been doing this week? Well, we actually just finished construction on our third studio in the building. So, uh, obviously, we're we're uh, I'm I'm working with more independent content creators and trying to help give them a platform to kind of get started. And so, uh, there was a need to have a, a studio built for guests, so we can have in studio guests because you know this one it's great for me, but it's kind of pigsty in here because it's. It just kind of my uh, my room to get stuff done. So we we finished construction on that new studio, and I think I'll be in there for Destination Linux next week. Everything uh, everything coming together. So we got all this all the equipment in nice. and everything wired down, and we were just testing it. But they there's still a bunch of tools and stuff in there, and uh, you know masking tape on the walls and stuff. So we decided to to stick it out in here one more week. So we get our nice. very own Destination Linux studio in more or less speed technologies. More or less. That's pretty. Yeah, cool. that's going to be used for a couple other things. But yeah, that's that was my interest in it anyway. Nice. I love it. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay, so before we get into the email, um, we just wanted to give a special thanks to everyone who has supported the GoFundMe page to bring me to America. 
Um, I'm just truly humbled by your generosity. Uh, you've raised $690 so far of the 2000 gold that we set aside. And that's just incredible. Um, but the page is still up. So if you want to see me along with the rest of the crew all together at Southeast Linux Fest, any amount of donation will be appreciated. Uh, we will be doing a live show from Southeast Linux Fest along with the Ask Noah show. And we will do some live streaming to show me checking Michael in person. <laughs> Ryan has got yeah. to have put that in there. So yep. we'll, we'll have to get Ryan to explain what he means by that. Well, I bought a gimbal for my phone so that I can live stream. And I have permission from one of the event creators, Noah. So that was kind of easy uh, to live stream <laughs> Zeb. So that we can have him, you know, check anytime he's checking Michael, Michael's doing something stupid, which is generally every 30 minutes. We'll have it live streamed so that everyone can, everyone for who's donating to get Zeb there is going to get that perk. You're going to have live stream footage of Zeb and we'll probably get him a baton. He'll bop Michael over the head a couple of times. We'll get a couple <laughs>, laughs. It's going to be fantastic. So, sounds like a blast. Sounds like a blast. So Michael, tell us about this week's email, please. All right. Well, first we get it's. it's um, he says that this is my name is Hater. I'm sure you can't pronounce it right. I probably didn't, but I'm. Uh, that's what my guess is. And he says uh, it said he's completely weird, just like the word uh, Ubuntu Mate. Uh, no one is sure how to pronounce it right. Uh, you can please comment. Let me know how close I was at least. Anyway, he says I'm I'm from Iraq and I am a huge fan of the show, especially Michael. He's one of my favorites. With no offense to everyone else. Uh, ridiculous and to be clear that is actually in the email i did just randomly say that so i, I can see that i'm yeah. shocked <laughs> i'm sure the translation was off he meant either zeb yeah or, or Ryan. yeah it must yeah, be yeah. it must have been a google translate thing or something yeah uh he said he says i'm an active member of the community i helped a huge number of arab people join uh, convert to linux which is awesome i also write motivational posts on facebook about linux and how windows sucks uh, but I always have this little issue I'm really desperate to figure out. And this is with LibreOffice Writer, uh, WPS Office, and things like that. So none of these apps have the ability to do uh, right-to-left Arabic text. And they said it's really good with English, but when it came to Arabic, it's just a mess, especially when you write uh, Arabic and mix it with English, to, like have them to both at the same time. It's It just can't figure it out and how to allow it. So every time I show them, uh, I have to lead them to Google Docs or MS Office to have them use Linux because otherwise they would try out these these applications and they're not working and just kind of like leave like walk away from it. So he says, I hope you guys read this on the show and I hope you keep up the good work uh, from my rack with love. Regards, Hater. Very nice. Well, that, that's interesting. I mean, you, you must have thought there, there would be an awful lot of um, Arab people out there who maybe would have contributed to LibreOffice and all the rest of it to help them with this arabic anomaly of going right to left and intermixing because i know that people who do speak um a language other than english as their own very often intersperse their their chats with english words and it's, it's actually quite funny hearing somebody converse with one of their colleagues and all of a sudden you'll hear weekend or starbucks or something in the middle of the conversation so you you would have thought that they would have they would have they would have worked that out so what is it they need to do to get this fixed, unfortunately, he didn't really specify exactly what the issue was, but I assume it's the the uh, the, the way it's that Arabic language is, is scripted. It might not use the correct like font structure. Uh, well, I think there's a couple of things here. One, I think 
how awesome is it that this podcast is listened to in over a hundred countries and I, we get emails from Iraq and all over the world. I think that's just amazing, but specific to his issue here that he mentions, this is how important the translations piece is. You'll see this in a lot of distros when they're looking for help, when you go under the areas for support needed, there will be generally always something about translations because you need to get this in all these countries. So I don't know if it's a translations issue in this case or whatnot, but I think if he opened a bug report with his specific error that he's happening, and I have the link down there and it'll be in the show notes to open a bug report, then they probably will get in there and fix it. They may not know it's an issue and if nobody's bringing it up. Mm-hmm. That's a good point because there's, there's a lot of times where people will complain about an issue, not necessarily saying this is complaining, but just like kind of see an issue but not tell the people that are making it so they don't even know it. Because as someone who, uh, like a lot of the people who work on it are English speakers, so they might not be able to try out to see if it works properly with the language they don't understand. So if that if it hasn't been reported, then uh, you know, highly suggest that you do so. Yep, Definitely. Um, and as usual, we do want to hear from our listeners. You can just see this the type of email we get here. It's really, really interesting. So send us an email this week asking that burning question or simply giving us some feedback. Send your email to comments at destinationlinux.org. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multi-storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and much more. You also get all this plus access to the world-class support for as low as $5 per month. Or you can use their flexible pricing structure for, a, for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free. <laughs> DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials. Now, think about it. That's 2,000. Now, we thought Eric Dubras of Arco Linux was prolific, but 2,000 tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, languages, and frameworks. Now, to get you started, DigitalOcean, for two months, they will give you $100 credit. Now, you can get this by going to do.co slash dl. I'll repeat that for you. That's do.co slash dl. Now, you can use this $100 credit to try out a bunch of their small droplets or some beefy droplets. If you want, you can even test run their beefy 16 gig 6V CPU droplet that has six terabytes of transfer. That sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. So again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit. You could do a Mumble server. You could do a NextCloud. Yeah. You could do both. Yeah, there you go. Because $100, I mean, I feel like it's kind of like DigitalOcean saying, hey, bro, we really, 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 really want you to go on a shopping spree. Like, <laughs> this is the one time it's okay to impulse buy. There you go. <laughs> Speaking of which, if you are wondering what to load on that server, you might consider OpenSUSE. OpenSUSE has been busy creating a bunch of new snapshots. Now, the first snapshot of 2019 was huge and included an update of more than 100 packages. The last two snapshots have new versions of GREP, VLC, and KDE applications, as well as the uh, frameworks Thunderbird, Wireshark, and a bunch more. 
Uh, the twenty eight, uh, the twenty nineteen oh one one five snapshot is now for kernel four dot two zero, among other things. Support for Team Red, so that'll make Ryan happy. Yes. And according to Tumbleweed's own snapshot reviewer, snapshot twenty nineteen zero one one five. Recorded an unstable rating of 61. Snapshot 2019-0121 is trending moderately stable with a rating of 78. So it's pretty cool to see how they are getting, uh, how fast they're getting these snapshots out. I, I'll be honest with you, I am not a guy that has, uh, has ever, OpenSUSE is just not the distro that's ever been for me, but I know that there is a lot of love behind it, and I know there's a lot of really passionate people that are putting mm-hmm. OpenSUSE out. And uh, and and it's cool to see that this project has a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how do they work out? Sorry, Ryan. How do they work out the the sort of like the unstability rating of sixty one? So this is what's pretty cool. I, I I didn't realize that they had this until I was going through some of the articles. But they actually have some tool that they're using that you go into. It's basically does some automated testing that called, determines the stability based on bug reports. Yeah, and multiple different things is bug reports. Also, they have their own system. The open QA is the system, uh, it, the open quality assurance tr- tester, and it, it, it tests uh, basically everything. It's really cool because they every time they make a test, you can see what the, the outcome of the test. And it's so extensive that it has automation tools where it will record a video of the of the whole test. And it goes from the start of like creating the uh, creating the ISO, take the ISO, put it on a system, run the system. Then you can see it going through the process of installing the distro, uh, even manip- like navigating through different menus once the distro is, is, is set up. And it does it auto- automatically so it can tell like where the bugs happen and if there's any issues. So they can get stuff uh, updated and released much quicker because they have this ma- this like this massive automation tool to allows them to see these, these ratings for this. So it's a bug well, from a user perspective. That. It's amazing because you could go in there and go, okay, well this hasn't reached, you know, I, I want something above 60 or I want something above 70 before I'm going to switch to it and create any instability. Um, and it, and it kind of highlights some of the, for a user to go on there and say, okay, it's got a rating of 61. Let me go in and see specifically what it's impacting. And then you can make the decision whether you're going to, to move to it or not. So I think that's a pretty cool idea that they have there. Uh, for their snapshot tool. I really like that. Yeah, I agree. Nice. All right. So something that's also really cool, actually it's awesome, is the awesome window manager. Awesome window manager has released version 4.3, and it includes (laughs) half a year's worth of fixes and improvements. So just so I can get some fan mail, if that half a year improvements finally get it to I3 level, (laughs) drop the mic. I'm just I'm kidding. I'm teasing. I like Awesome. Um, awesome is a highly configurable framework window manager for X. It's extremely fast, small, dynamic. A lot of people love it. It uses the Lua programming language. It's primarily targeted at power users, as all window managers are, for being able to, um, you know, have fine grained control over your workspace and environment. So. Many tiling window managers and enthusiasts are huge fans of Awesome or i3 or any of the others out there, and they all have very uh, great features. I was trying out Awesome to see if I would like it over i3, and here's kind of what I concluded. I think if you start with Awesome, you're going to like Awesome more than, say, another another window manager because you've gotten used to its configuration files and how it works. 
and vice versa. Uh, they all have similar features. Like in this release, you've got better DPI handling, new GTK color palettes, new widget improvements and those things. And I'm sure there are other features that maybe i3 has that it doesn't have or vice versa. And there are other window managers out there as well. And I think it really boils down to which one you spent the time to learn first. I was in there doing some of my i3 configuration key bindings that weren't working. And so, you know, but you could obviously go in there and change that and make it work for whatever function you want. So I think awesome is awesome, except for one thing. And that's ever trying to get support in Google for it. Yeah, that's not, it's not <laughs> a good name. Because when you type in, uh, you know, code broken for awesome window manager, what you end up with in your search result is... Here's a top 10 <laughs> awesome window manager. These managers. are the top 10 awesome window managers for you to use. So I... I'm not a fan of the name, but otherwise, uh, yeah, it's a very good window manager. I don't know if anybody's actually used it. I was playing with it. It looks gorgeous. I, I did the Manjaro, uh, so kind of pre-configured version of it, and it was absolutely, Manjaro team did a great job on it. Absolutely beautiful when you booted into it. Um, the key bindings, like I said, weren't familiar to me, but I was quickly able to figure out how to navigate around and you know get some stuff done. So for someone who's not into win window managers myself, What's what's the primary difference between Awesome and i3? Um, is it just the script that they use to get it to do the things that they do? What's wh Why would you choose one over the other? No matter what I answer here, I think I'm going to have somebody comment on <laughs> that you're wrong. But to me, the difference between them is really the configuration language and how you change you know, the variables for where you want your program. Like Awesome uses Lua. You would go in there and you would change where you want your workspaces set up, what programs you want to launch on it, how you want to tile different things on it. Some people will say one's more lightweight than the other and that type of thing. But ultimately, they're both fantastic options, I'm sure. Yeah, they both provide most of the same options. And as far as the lightweight goes, it's like uh, three megabytes and four megabytes. It's like, who cares? I The only thing I would say in defense of one tiling window manager over another is... In, and again, this is this is pretty anecdotal, but in my experience, what I've seen is a lot of developers tend to center around Xmonad, and not that it's necessarily has any sort of feature set that's better than Awesome or any of the other or i3, but uh, it's a lot easier to get questions answered. So I find myself when I was poking around in groups and I would, when I first started using Xmonad, I would say, well, how, do, how do I do this? A bunch of people would answer me for Xmonad. I'd get maybe one or two people that would answer for me for Awesome or i3. Now, again, that's mm -hmm. anecdotal. depends on what groups you're in, who you're friends with, all that. But that was my experience. <laughs> Very interesting. I've heard a lot about Xmonad as well out there as one to try. But once you take the time to actually learn one of these, it's hard for me to gain the energy to go, okay, I want to switch to another one and learn the whole configuration files, where they're at, how to change them, the programming language, all the little quirks. Like, I think once you find one of these you like, you're pretty much going to stay there. So there's this new application on the on the scene. I've never heard of this before, but I think it's called uh, Firefox. And they really yeah, fuck it. Yeah, fire feeder fox fear. Okay, uh, it's what got. What does it do? Is it a firewall? I think so. <laughs> it might be. It might be. But uh, oh. apparently, it's something to do with uh, browsing the internet. And nice. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, nailed it. So it's a it's a brouch knockoff, uh, somewhat, I guess. It's, it's there's there's some oh. integration there somewhere. Anyway, Firefox sixty five has been released. So there's a lot of cool stuff, and one of the things I think that's most interesting is the the tracking protection that they've done. So that they've added some 
uh, simplified blocking so that you can do content blocking kind of like kind of like an ad blocker sort of but it's more built into the browser so it gives you users st- like the standard strict and custom options to choose what kind of trackers are allowed to do certain things because sometimes trackers are going to be okay because let's say if you're a a what things matomo yeah matomo is like a self-hosted analytics service that you could you know run yourself and if a website uses that i mean that they're they're not going to be like excessively tracking your data so in those cases you could give a put those in a whitelist and allow that or block other tracking systems uh, so you can choose which one you like and there's also uh, some improvements for multilingual users and mm-hmm. they they there's a better streaming video streaming experience with a new compression uh, technology called AV1 and we'll talk about, about more of that in depth in a few minutes uh, but we want to continue talking about Firefox itself because uh, there's quite a few things that are coming, and I think one of the the cool things about it is, or cool another cool thing is the performance management that they're adding. Is they're revamping the task manager, which is uh, I think it hasn't been changed in quite a long time. So it's it's much, it's better so you can now see reports for memory usage for both tabs and add-ons. So you can see if there's every time you have a, pro- a problem with your resources being used too much you can pick and choose which one like or find out which one is is causing that and you could close it you know it's a much way much better way to figure out if there's where's a memory leak or things like that is is anybody actually seen this new feature that is like recommendations if you go to a website and it says you might be interested in this add-on you know it's funny i haven't seen it uh but i saw screenshots of other people getting yeah it so if some people are complaining about it, they don't like it, and others don't care. But well, I think uh, it, was, I it, seen it. it kind of be a good thing or a bad thing because I went to YouTube and it's like, do you want this enhancer for YouTube add-on? And I was like, I've never heard of this. And I checked it out, and it actually has a lot of cool features in it that I didn't know existed until this recommendation system came into Firefox. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. Uh, the, first time, uh, the first time it popped up on my screen, I actually thought it was something weird that the website was doing. And I left the website. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I, I don't want you to install things on my browser. What are you doing? And how did you get that thing to pop up? And the little, little blue tab thingy, get out of my browser. <laughs> Is this going to be end, end up being one of those sort of like double-edged sword things, though, that that, Mike, that um, Mozilla do from time to time, where they put in what they think is a really good feature and everybody just moans about it? I mean, it, I mean, it could be. There's probably going to be people who are going to you know, this not really understand what they're doing. And it could be the thing is like as an ad sort of, but I, in some cases, I think that I, I've only seen it done for YouTube with the enhancer and people who already have the enhancer wouldn't get that notification. Let me ask, does it come every time until you, you know, X out of it or not? Cause I'm no. wondering if I saw it and then X out of it. So got rid of it. Never. What happens is that it pops up, uh, you know, in the top of the, like the address bar and it shows you like recommendation. And then if you click it, It'll tell you what the details are. If you leave it alone, it'll just sit there. So, so an ad blocker, things like that, wouldn't keep that from popping up. I don't know. I mean, it might. It might. Uh, it's not technically a part of a website, so an ad blocker might not do that. But I mean, it, once once you dismiss it, it just has like a little icon that says it's the recommendation icon. It shows you what options could be. So I, I haven't seen it like activate more than once, really. But the the fact that it did activate was interesting because I hadn't seen it before. So I was wondering if it was 65 when they introduced it, if anybody's seen that. Yeah, because I'm on 65. I went to YouTube. I don't see any icons recommending anything or any of that stuff. I'm on YouTube just to see if it would uh, pop up. It should be on the top right uh, of the address bar. Interesting. 
Yeah, I don't I'm know. not seeing it either, but then I'm on Chromium, so that's probably it, That's why I'm wondering if Adblocker <laughs> stops it or something. Um, I, I, it, it might. I don't know. Um, but I, I, there are some, even whether, you know, I, I think it's a okay thing to do as long as the yeah. recommendations are good add-ons like this one seems to be because based on the features, it looks like a pretty cool thing. Um, but there's a, a lot of other things that are coming out in this latest version of Firefox. The the fact that they have had better support for the W or the WebP image format is really cool because WebP is a an image format that has really high quality at low file size. So it's like Ooh. the same kind of technology for the WebM for the for video. Um, so, but it's 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 really cool because WebP. It's not really kept supported on a lot of browsers still. Like it's Chromium and Firefox, and anything based on either one of those uh, still support it. But the, as far as any other browsers, it doesn't really have support. So I'm glad to see that it's you know getting you know a wider range of support because it's it has a lot of potential to be great, especially considering it's an open source format. Yep. They yeah. also improved their pop-up blocker to prevent multiple pop-up windows from being opened by websites at the same time, which I love that. So I love the fact that Firefox is kind of doubling down in the security area. These are the type of updates that I love to see. There are other things that they have in here with regards to stack smashing and things uh, where they're enhancing the security, especially in a time where you've got a lot of momentum over there of people not liking what Chrome and Chromium are doing. Um, so this is a great time for, you know, I think Firefox to double down and say, hey, we're that security privacy focused browser and we're going to keep nailing it with updates and updates and updates to improve that experience. It's the perfect time for that. Excellent. So picking up on the um, new video compression technology, uh, Mozilla AV1 Royal, royalty-free standard. Um, so we touched on the AV1 video codec standard in our discussion about Firefox just literally two seconds ago. Um, today, when you watch uh, YouTube on stream videos, they are likely to have the H.265 video codec. In fact, four out of five videos on the web rely on this patented technology. The idea behind these codecs is that they shrink the large media files so they can stream with a reasonable quality. I'm guessing that's a bit like the WebP imaging stuff. Uh, um, yeah, kind of. It's it, where it's meant to be like the lower file size, but a good enough quality so you can have 1080p, but still have it be able to stream at small devices. Right, nice. Um, so the problem is that these, these patented codecs cost companies millions to use so this money goes to the mpeg hyphen or tac la and it impacts costs you pay for some of these services for instance netflix amazon youtube and even arm chip manufacturers are having to pay these codecs for streaming or supporting um, their base so apart from it's going to be saving people a lot of money um what else is this going to be good for Michael? Well, it's also um, restricting people's ability to use certain codecs because they're afraid that if they use it, that it would create a problem of, you know, they would be forced to pay a certain pa uh, patent or they, they would be forced to take it down because they use a certain codec. So it, it avoids the issue of potential, um, you know, censorship based on whether you can pay for their, con their codec or not. Um, mm -hmm. but it's, so that's the, the main benefit of having an open source approach. Uh, but the majority of the time it's because the companies who, uh, pay 
for these codec patents also pass off that that cost to their users. So like Netflix has to charge a certain amount included in their fee for these codecs because otherwise it would be, you know, cost millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, recently, this is not why that they, the Netflix did it, but recently Netflix increased their prices per month for every account, mm-hmm. uh, only like a dollar or two, depending on which account you have. But the, the fact that they have to do that every once in a while um, just shows that if they were not having to pay the fees in these patents, then maybe the price would be lower depending on like, you know, how much they had to deal with. So like these, but look at H two sixty two six five that they just came out with. It has 23 patents inside of it. Right. And cost 10 times the cost. So in a way what they did is they kept ramping up the costs, this, you know, to get more and more money off of these codecs and open source companies come in or the open source solution comes in and says, how about we build one, make it just as good, and it costs nobody nothing because it's open source. Mm-hmm. So that in a way, they priced themselves out of the market, and open source was the solution here. Yeah. Mm. So, so AV1 is definitely royalty-free, and it delivers a better technology um, from a compression point of view. Um, and apparently some tests say that it's 30% better. But is this going to be one of those um, innovations that's come out and everybody goes, oh, you know what? It's too much hassle to replace HD. No way. Or, no way. No. And the reason is because the companies that came together to create the open source solution here is ARM, Google, Intel, Amazon, Netflix, and NVIDIA. So all of your major players have come together to develop this. This is not a situation where people aren't going to adopt it or it's just going to kind of sit out there. And You've got major companies coming together. They formed a collaborative company called AO Media. And they're all backing it. I think it's going to take off without without an issue. Well, and have they said roughly how long it's going to be? I don't think they've given an estimate for that. Mm-hmm. Media is taking off in all sorts of spaces, other than just compression technology. That is in the open source video editor world. Now there is a new open source video editor on the market, and that is Olive. Now a lot of people have been looking for a video editor comparable to uh, the Adobe products. In fact. There was an article by Jason, uh, I forget how to pronounce his last name, but uh, he writes for Forbes and, and was talking about the, one of the big things that are keeping people from switching to Linux is, in fact, the, the lack of Adobe products on Linux. And so Olive is a video editor that looks to essentially emulate the workflow and the layout and all of that of things like Final Cut Pro and Adobe Premiere. Now, right now, it's in the alpha stage but you can become a Patreon and help them to continue to develop the video editor. They've got some of the basic features like magnetic snapping, cutting, positioning, scaling, all of that stuff. Now, here is, I guess, where I fall down on this. I get somewhat frustrated because on one hand, I love the fact that Linux has choice, and I love the fact that we have competition going in in the Linux sphere. The problem is... Oftentimes, what happens is we start to make some progress, and then somebody else comes along and goes, hey, you know what we should do? We should do this thing, and we should make some progress. And then they start to get a little bit of traction, and then somebody else comes along and goes, hey, you know what we should do? We should do this thing. And then they st- and, and we just we keep resetting the ball. And in the video editor world, I have watched this happen probably over 10 years, where we get a video editor, you get some traction, and then a bunch of people try and do it over again. And then they get a little bit of traction and people do, try and do it over again. And what, I, I, what I'm left with is I have to ask myself, 
why is it the people that want to make a really lean video editor that is modeled after Final Cut Pro or Adobe Premiere, why are they not working with the Caden Live folks? Or why are they not working with the OpenShot folks? Because we went through this with OpenShot not four years ago, right? Four years ago, OpenShot came onto the market yeah. and said, hey, we want to create a nonlinear ed video editor that is for the masses, the one that competes with all of the big names, not something that is, is just, just because it's made in Linux, but we'll make it cross-platform, but we want to become the next standard of video editor. And where's OpenShot now? Well, I mean, it's not, it's not, that's not a hit on OpenShot. It's a great video editor, but at the end of the day, it's still not taking uh, players away from Adobe Premiere or Final Cut. Okay. Then you mm -hmm. have Lightworks, which had, a, what, in my opinion, one of the most professional, robust video editors out there. And, you know, there's, it is what it is because they're not open source, so it, it doesn't really apply to, to the current discussion. But the point is that, again, as professional of product that they have, where they actually have penetration in Hollywood, which you can't say that for Caden Live, you can't say that for OpenShot, and still today, uh, Premiere and Final Cut both have more users than than uh, than Lightworks, so I I have to ask myself, as great as the Alpha looks, and I've been playing with it, as great as the Alpha looks, was this the right call? Was this the right decision for these group of highly motivated, obviously highly skilled coding individuals to go mm -hmm. forward and say we need to bring another video editor onto the market where we're still ten to fifteen years behind every other major video editor out there? Was that the right decision? I don't know that it was. But don't, don't you think, though, that that is the way the, sort of like the Linux community seems to work anyway? Because hasn't there been a call for years and years and years for all of the developers of all these desktop environments and all these other bits and pieces to get together and unify and create one desktop? Yeah, but, you, you know, I, I could imagine trying to go to the Caden Live team and saying, hey, okay, I've got all these talented developers. I want to see this multi-cam support and things, you know, different way that all of these video editors envision video editing, you're, mm. you're not going to go to Caden Live and get them to change their mind and say, okay, you're right, we do need a multi-cam four panel here, or in Lightworks case, the older versions where you log into mm -hmm. a desktop, or all of these different ideas that people have of what makes a good video editor. I'm not sure that mm -hmm. those same talented people could go in there and just change that. But I've got to ask, when you say Linux is 10 to 15 years behind other video editors, you're specifically talking about in the open source space, correct? Yes. Okay, because yeah, I, I'm doing a video on this because it, it's, it's something that, I'm, I'm actually releasing a video on this this week because it's something that bothers me a lot. A lot of the personalities that represent Linux on YouTube and other things are talking about Linux sucks for video editing. It's not true. Yeah, it's not true. No. It's not true at all. But it does if you're, some of the open source options, like you said, you're absolutely correct. It's fragmented. I just, and I agree with you. I wish they would work together as well, but I could just see that they're going, hey, I envision it needs to have these panels and these settings, and you go to the Caden Live team, and they'd be like, no, we're not changing our format. See, this is how we do it. If, if that happened, if they went to the Caden Live team or they went to the OpenShot team and said, here's what we want to do, and got shot down and said, well, screw it, we're going to go do our own, we wouldn't be having this discussion. My, I, I guess my okay. issue is, like I say, like every five years, it seems like we try to reinvent the wheel. And so to your point about, I'm speaking only about open source video editors, there are fundamental features that exist inside of Lightworks that people that are coming from Premiere, people that are coming from Final Cut expect to see. And I'd say at least 30%, maybe more of those features don't exist in any other open source video editor out there. Multicam is just one of many, of one of many features that don't exist in any other video editor, uh, but exist in the proprietary alternative, which isn't ideal, but it gets the job done on Linux. 
I have no doubt that the based on what I've seen and the progress that these guys at Olive have made, I have no doubt that they aim to be there and that they're going to create a quality product. Again, I just I really, 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 really want us to sit down and have a and have a come to Jesus moment where we say, listen, is this what we need to be doing? And the the comparison to the desktop, Zeb, I, I guess what I would say to that is there there's a comparison to be made there, but keep in mind, GNOME is really, really, really good. KDE is absolutely fantastically awesome, and uh, you know, and and Mate, you know, very very refined. So in the desktop space, they're at least feature complete, right? In GNOME and KDE, and maybe Mate, I'd have to think about it, but for sure with GNOME and KDE, I would argue we have twice the feature. Like Windows just finally got virtual desktops. We've had that for ten years. So in the, in the desktop space, yes, there's competition, but it, at least the competition there is good competition because we're moving the needle forward. In the video editor space, it seems like we're robbing resources from Peter to pay Paul. Yeah, it's it's interesting because KDE or Caden Live is such a fantastic product, and it, that's the closest. And it was the only reason why when I was doing the 30 days links, I had to edit videos. I was doing a YouTube channel. I planned to go back to Windows. We talked about this, but Caden mm-hmm. Live's what allowed me to stay within Linux and do the editing because I was using Adobe yep. Premiere and all those other products before, and it was comparable for my simple video editing needs. But as you get right. more advanced that starts changing. Caden Live starts to show that. And, and number two is when new people log into it, you go from like an Adobe Premiere or Lightworks into a Caden Live. Caden Live has a lot of amazing features, but it's ugly. Mm-hmm. It's just not pretty. Just make and, it a dark mode would, would fix, uh, would it solve a lot of their aesthetic stuff. And so when yeah. you log Kaden into Live something has a dark like... Mode. It's a cute-based application. It's still so ugly it. in dark mode. It, it doesn't, like, for instance, their effects and everything else are hidden behind <laughs> flat and ugly panels. And to it's be, navigation. To be, to be clear, uh, you're right. However, the next version, the full refactoring, refactoring of uh, the next version of Caden Live is going to have a new UI as well, which does look quite nice. So I think a lot of people log into Caden Live and just go, there's no way this has the same features as Adobe. And they're probably there, some of them, but they're buried underneath a bunch of menus. Now, Olive is a different story. You log into Olive, you feel like you've logged into Lightworks in a way. Yeah, it looks nice. It's just absolutely gorgeous. You feel like if you went from Adobe Premiere, took somebody and said, okay, now sit down and use this. They, yeah. they, they're going to be lost a little bit, but they're not going to be going, wow, what is this ugly thing from the 80s? So mm-hmm. I like that, but I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with you. If you take some of these features and stuck them in Caden Live, especially the look, you would have something that actually would beat Adobe and nobody would care about. And by the way, part of my video, I looked up Adobe's feedback on their Premiere. It's mm-hmm. rated one and a half stars on Amazon. People don't love Adobe. No, They're used to it. They yeah. have to deal with it because it's the best yeah. of the crap that's out there. I was, I was, I was in college at the time studying uh, communications and, and, and I was actually taking classes on nonlinear video editing at the time when Final Cut 10 came out. And I actually, I, I got a firsthand look into a news station, into a college news station, into a video lab at a college and watched as the transition when 10 came out and they went, Final Cut 7 was a professional tool. Final Cut 10 is iMovie with the new skin on it. It's, it, this is not a good product. This is not a professional tool. This is a joke. Mm-hmm. And I watched the transition go to Adobe when everybody opened Premiere and went, well, this sucks, but hey, it's better than Final Cut 10. Sure wish we exactly. could go to 7. And, and they settled. And, and then what happened was a bunch of people went and purchased Premiere and put it on their Windows machine. And so then you had market penetration both on the Mac side and the Windows side. And Adobe 
almost overnight became the de facto standard for video editing, right? And uh, and and there were a bunch of other video editors that were out there that just didn't have any traction because everybody just kind of centered on Adobe. Then they bundled it and they went to the Creative Cloud. And now those people that were doing After Effects and were doing graphics and all of that stuff, everything got t tied together in the Creative Suite. And people went, oh, okay, well, that's just how what creative professionals use. They just use the Creative Suite. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we're locked into that. And so there is a petition to pull or to port Adobe Premiere over to Linux. And I would encourage anybody to go find that and, and, and upvote it. But more than anything else, my call to people that are working in the development sphere for video editing, please, 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 please work together. If it's, if it's Olive, so be it. It's Olive. But whatever the next product is, whatever the next project, the next guy that's really smart that is thinking about, please come to Olive and just help them help them with right. their vision and let's, let's get there. And if this is the last one, great. And if once we get there and it's a competitive product and we start pulling users from Adobe, then let's try to create competition and make a better open source project. Yep. I agree. So another interesting uh, product that has a new release that we all love, we all agree. I'm pretty sure on this show unanimously that Thunderbird is our go-to desktop email client that we use here. So Thunderbird email client has a new version 60.5 out right now. And this is a really cool feature that they've added here. So one of the, the key features of 60.5, the standout, is the integration of WeTransfer. This is a file transfer service, which allows you to send up to two gigabytes data file completely free. Wow. But then there's this added piece that it requires zero registration. So you don't have to go sign up for some web page and you know put in all of your information or anything. This is now integrated into Thunderbird. I thought that alone makes 60.5 awesome right there by itself. Because a lot of times you will email giant files across, but you'll hit that, that theoretical limit that they have there of the file transfer size or their email client will handle it and you can't transfer it. But this allows you to do that. Absolutely amazing. Up to two gigabytes. That's a pretty big file. You could even send ISOs mm. to people with that size. Uh, some ISOs anyways. Um, Thunderbird also gains support for open search engines like uh, from a local XML file. Additionally, adds options for DuckDuckGo. And it should have stopped there, but they also added Google. Gross. <laughs> um, <laughs> compatibility added with web extension-based file link add-ons like Dropbox is also enabled in this version. And perhaps the best news for this, uh, for people who are utilizing Microsoft Exchange servers for work because they you know, have to use that integration is now they've made that much, much easier because it auto detects the server is using Microsoft Exchange protocol and prompts them uh, for the installation of OWL for Exchange add-on automatically on there. So people who have, and I've heard this complaint before, said, I love Thunderbird, but I can't get it to integrate correctly with Microsoft Exchange. They've just made it easier there. You'll need that add-on, but it's automatically going to detect you're typing in those credentials for an Exchange server and prompt you for it. Yep. So nice. Thunderbird 60.5. Thunderbird's killing it lately. You went from a project that a lot of people, when we had them on, were saying, is Thunderbird even being updated anymore? Is it dead? They weren't sure. To getting amazing releases from this team. Oh, yeah, it's great. And uh, the new UI that they were coming out with is, is really nice looking too. So like the... Uh... That I, I like the fact that they're doing the Exchange Server thing. Like I have no intention of using Exchange Server, but there are a lot of companies that I deal with that 
are using Exchange Server, and it'd be a lot easier to you know convince them to use Thunderbird if they had the ability to use those servers with the you know the mm-hmm. the calendar and the context and all that stuff can sync together. Whereas previously with Thunderbird, you could get your email with an Exchange Server just fine, but having everything integrated didn't really work that well. So it's really nice to see that they're doing a you know making it auto auto detect that you're trying to do an Exchange Server, so you don't have to like. Um, you don't have to teach people how to set up and install an add-on. Then you go into the process. Then you try to set up the server. It's like it gives you a, a much easier transition phase, and I really like that. Uh, also, I'm kind of curious if why they didn't include the Firefox Send support because Firefox Send is basically like WeTransfer except it's 10 gigs. Um, but there is one slight problem with that. It's it's okay. It's a pro and a con. Like depending like both depending on your perspective, the Firefox Send thing is only for one day. So you can have 10 gigs of a file, but you can only have it for one day or one download. Well, you answered your question. But you can still do it. You can still have support for it because if, in some cases, I think that that'd be a good option because if I want to send it to someone and I only want that one person to download it, then yeah. you don't have to worry about it. So I just think it'd be cool if they had both. Well, wouldn't this include both then? No, I don't, I don't, you... I don't think, I mean, we transfer. Well, couldn't you have that additional add-on you were talking about or is that not for Thunderbird? I don't know if there's an an add-on for Thunderbird. Firefox Send okay. is is a service that Mozilla created and just used the term Firefox. I got you. Okay, yeah. so this isn't an additional feature that they have. You're saying that they have this for Firefox. They should integrate it in a Thunderbird, yeah. just 10 gigabyte a day. I got you. Yeah, that would be awesome. The new System76 laptop, they're getting a refreshed version of the Darter Pro. And the Darter Pro is a very slick-looking laptop. Um, it, it's, it's like an ultrabook form factor. Um, but it also has like be like really powerful specs. So first up, it has got an eighth gen Intel Core i5 8265U or an i7 8565U. That rolls off the tip of your tongue. Just <laughs> uh, it's got a 15 inch 1080p matte IPS display, and it's nice. got integrated graphics from Intel's uh, Graphics 620 set. Um, what's uh, really ridiculous is the uh, is the 32 gig dual channel DDR4 uh, RAM that you can have in this thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, the more RAM, the better, I say. And it also has support for M.2 SATA or PCIe NVMe SSDs. So many initialisms. I just gotta point that out. Initialisms. Um, that's what initialism is. Yeah, and an initialism oh. is an acronym that you can't say as a word. SCUBA oh. is an is an acronym, but I you see. know NVME is an initialism. You're gotcha. welcome for that random. Today learned. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Today learned. It also has uh, 3.1 USB Type C uh, with Thunderbolt support, which is very cool because this is the Thunderbolt allows you to do daisy chaining, so you could have this one laptop and use Thunderbolt to have multiple uh, external monitors. Ooh. So if you have like a like your work desk, you could go in there and hook it up to that. Uh, and I, li- I like that ability because in, in some cases, if you had an external monitor output on your thing, you'd only have one monitor you could do, whereas Thunderbolt allows you to have multiples through. I think it's like up to three or four. I know it has a, a, a six-level a six level daisy chain, but I'm not sure how many times it could push out a new monitor. But I think Dongle like, gate. Yeah, there you go, that too. But... <laughs> Uh, it still is pretty cool because if it's if you're gonna if you're gonna have external monitors, you're not gonna carry those around, so it's it's probably okay. <laughs> I got my portable laptop and my six monitors in hand. <laughs> exactly, it's probably okay then. But, yeah. but have y'all taking taking a look at this? I mean, I, I think it looks gorgeous, and uh, 
it's interesting. Uh, Bo Weaver has a System 76 laptop, so he was he was dropping that on me, like you know, rubbing it in because I had gotten rid of recently my Galago Pro. So I guess I need to get another one to kind of. What did you What did you replace your Galago with? Just out of curiosity, the Dell XPS 13 and the Huawei laptop that I got, Ryzen laptop that I got for a ridiculous prices, $800 laptop I got for 200 bucks. So at that point, wow. I was looking at, I had to sell something. And it ended up being the System 76 laptop because it was older. It was an older sure. one that I bought used anyways. Sure. But now, you know, Bo's got one. He's kind of shoving it in my face. I don't want to show up to Southeast Linux Fest with that. So maybe, I, maybe I'll pick up one of these. But they've got to do a couple of things. One is we need some Team Red in here and not just the Intel. And two is I'd like an option to have something other than integrated graphics on this. That would be fantastic. But the most important thing I think that they have on here is, first of all, it looks gorgeous. It's certainly got some power behind it, but they've got the backlit chiclet keyboard. I don't know about you guys, but it's come to the point that if I take a laptop and it does have a backlit keyboard, I will drop kick it through a window before I'll use it. <laughs> well, I learned how to touch type when I was five, so uh, that's not a problem for me. But, you know, you do use shots fired. Dang. Wow. <laughs> I actually do have I have a, t- a touch type keyboard. Uh, that I use that it doesn't have backlit, but it's annoying that if I'm traveling and you know I'm, I'm like in a car and or just a passenger or I'm on a uh, a plane and they turn all the lights and it's like hard to see because well I've used it for so long that the letters are actually even rubbing off a little bit. So <laughs> like it, it, it can also you know laptop keyboards are in the different locations where they put all these different keys. So like especially like the the page down page up keys and the like the those things are I, all random places. I, so. I have to tell you, Michael, like maybe it's just different workflows is really what it amounts to. But I, this stupid thing, my, my ThinkPad is with me like so many hours of the day I spend on it. I could use it in my sleep and I could tell you wherever key, like not, I wouldn't even have to think about it. My fingers will just find all of the keys again, just by memory because I'm just on it so much. But that's probably, be, you know, workflow. It's, you know, oh, I think he's bragging. And what we're going to do is we're going to live stream a test to see if he can actually <laughs> oh, find the keys dude, blindfolded dude, at Southeast li- Linux. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll do you one better. You go ahead and install Suicide Linux, and I'll do it blindfolded. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's Done. that's confidence right there. Done. <laughs> I am 100% confident in my ability. My ThinkPad and I. We are one. And then we'll test you on a different laptop and just prove it. Yeah, that'll be a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, if System76 isn't isn't your thing, and for whatever reason you don't like the design ethos, then Dell has a new developer laptop coming out. Um, It's updated its popular 9370 line with a new shiny 9380. Happen to the let's have a 9000 or a 7000 or an 8000. What Just is go it? with it, Zeb. They gave us a oh, Linux good. laptop. <laughs> That's a good they? point. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. It comes with Ubuntu. Cool. So, this is the eighth generation of the Ubuntu based developer edition. Cool. Um, this is all thanks to Project Sputnik, which is Dell's well, I nearly said that wrong there Skunk Works <laughs> initiative driven by the developers in the company. So, you'll be happy to know, Ryan. Uh-huh. 80 features Intel's eighth generation i3, i5, and i7 processors. Lots of good choices. But there's no love for AMD. That's not good. Yep. So it comes with uh, 1804 LTS preloaded. It has that marvelous Infinity Edge display that I love guess that. you think you're using 
like a phone, but in a there's no bevel or anything around going around the outside. So gorgeous. You can have up to 16 gigabyte of LPDDR3 memory. Um, there's one NVMe slot, um, but you can on the on the larger model you can have up to a two terabyte NVMe. So that's pretty amazing. Yeah. They seem to have their own Thunderbolt Thunderbolt three USB three point one generation two slots, as well as a normal Type C uh, USB three point one. Um, improved Thunderbolt runtime management uh, power management, and then apparently they have a killer a whole raft of numbers, but a, a really special Bluetooth adapter. It's a bit like Marco. You could sit here tripping over these these figures all day long. See, I read um, that, and it's just like English to me, but for uh, non-hardware people, I see why. Well, well I can read it fine. It's, yeah. it's just having to read it and say it at the same time. That kind of makes it a little bit of an exactly. issue. Yeah. I get chills oh. as I read those beautiful numbers. What what, what well, I get chills though. for is seeing the fact that they changed it so that the camera is at the top of the monitor rather than at the bottom so you don't get the nostril view anymore. Oh, it was right. not really a big issue, but yeah, it's it's, it's a better. A, it's a weird location for no reason. Yeah. It should always be at the top because that's the most logical place to. But the, the reason why they had to do that initially was to design idea of having that basically infinity infinity bezel, mm -hmm. which is just I, I can't explain it because it sounds so dumb. But when you look at a bezel that doesn't ex when you have this teeny tiny bezel on a laptop screen, it is so much more engaging than having a giant bezel. The screen size is the same. It just makes you feel more a part of what you're working on, not having this giant piece of plastic border framed around it. Okay. I don't know what it is, but it's amazing. I mean, that makes sense. If that's why, if that's the reason they did it, then it's not as ridiculous. I just always thought it was yeah. a weird thing to do. So, But either way, it's great that they still have the Infinity Edge, and now it also have to stop. So that's great. But I think it's kind of cool, too, to think about Project Sputnik here because basically what this is is they told their developers, hey – you can go work on some projects that you want to work on. And what does Dell's developers go and do? They create a Linux-based laptop mm -hmm. because that's what developers want. So as mm -hmm. these companies internally go through and say, hey, what, what do you want to work on? What would you want your platform to be? It's Linux. And that's why we have eight generations of this laptop now, thanks to the developers there within Dell that went out and created this. So uh, I love System76. I love that Dell has this project. If you're looking for one, definitely think about supporting a laptop that you don't have to wipe that junky Windows off and could go straight into Linux right mm. as soon as you order it. You boot up, you're in Linux. I think that's awesome. Yep. And they're also contributing yeah, to different like uh, driver support and packages and, and stuff like that. So while they're building the, the the laptops themselves, they're also working on improving the hardware support and, and sharing that improvements with the community. <laughs> what I found interesting, though, is they didn't tell you the size um, – of the display and also didn't tell you whether or not it's going to be HD. I'm guessing it's going to be a 1920 by 1018 minimum. It has full HD there and ultra high definition options there for this laptop. And I believe this ah, is a 13 yeah. inch screen. All of the 90, all of the 93 series uh, XPS developer editions are 13 inch. They don't, the, the 15 inch is, I think technically uh, is technically a precision, isn't it? Uh -huh. okay. Yeah, could be. Pretty sure I'm just going to double check. Nope, I am wrong. There is a 95. Yeah, so the 93 series is the 13. The 95 series is the 15 inch. Okay, so but they do make an XPS 15. Right. So the newest, the this newest model is specifically about the 13 inch. Then. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yep. 9379380. If the Dell XPS is not 
in your budget, maybe it's a little outside what you can afford, you might want to check out the new Pinebook. Now, the new Pinebook is taking on the Chromebook with their $199 Pro model. Now, you might remember a a year ago or two years ago, the original Pinebook came out for $99. They promised to deliver a quality laptop, which they did, and people in the ARM community absolutely loved it. Here's the problem. The problem is, from time to time, you end up trying to do something on a computer that a $99 computer just will not let you do. So they have come out with the Pinebook Pro. Now, this is a $199 computer. You're going to get a 14-inch 1080p display, 64 gigs of EMMC storage, uh, uh, and members can get up to, or registered form members say that they can put up to 128 gigs. You get a 10,000 milliamp battery and a, a magnesium alloy, alloy body and it obviously comes with an sd card reader an unpopulated mvne slot it has usb-c uh regular uh audio aux out bluetooth four gigs of ram uh it will allow you to charge over the usb-c port or they have the traditional uh, barrel plug that you can charge and uh essentially what they said was And I quote, we've heard you. Many of you want a high-performance 64-bit ARM laptop strictly strictly designed with FOSS in mind and can be used for day-to-day Linux laptop. Premium materials, great manufacturing quality, and performance were making it happen. Now, you're going to have to wait till mid-March to get your hands on one. I will buy it the second it comes out. I purchased the original Pinebook. I will absolutely purchase this and uh, probably do a review on it. I could easily see... Depending on on the reaction that we get, most of most of my day my day job at Alta Speed Technologies, we do a lot of system administration. And uh, right now, what we do is we just give uh, employees a budget and say, "Go buy whatever it is you want for a laptop." Or and then obviously we take that laptop if and when that employee quits, and then that gets redistributed to the next guy. One of the things I would be willing to do, if this works out, is call everybody up and say, "Listen, we'll just whole hog buy everybody in the company one of these things because they're cheap enough." They run Linux. You could basically use it out of the box. We wouldn't have to wipe any windows off of it. And it's powerful enough to get day-to-day tasks done. So Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see this. I absolutely will be purchasing one when they come out. What I love here is the focus on the magnesium alloy body. Because Michael mentioned this. You have one of the original Pine books that you still haven't given back. Uh, no, b- uh, borrowed with, um, borrowed forever. To- not, You're not like forever. That that grabs your tools and never gives them back. Not but in any case, you have the original pine book. Asking about those bush trimmers. And that, that plastic keyboard is just flexing, right? The plastic keyboard when you're typing on it sometimes. Yep. And yep. that's why I tell people one of the qualifications I have to have, or I give when somebody's asking for, you know, suggestions on a laptop is that aluminum alloy body. It makes a huge difference. You don't get that cheap flex when you're resting your palms on the laptop or you're typing on it, where you feel the whole thing concaving because of that aluminum alloy base. It's such an important thing and it makes things feel so much more premium. And the fact you're getting all of that for $199 with these specs I think it's incredible. Yeah, Who it's wouldn't order this. I mean, this is a backup laptop. Like it's a ridiculous like set when I, when I first saw that they were they announced this. This was kind of like these these when I first saw the original Pine Book. The specs in the Pine Book are also great. They're not at, like they there's certain limits to it. Like you said that there's the the keyboard is you know the whole thing's made in plastic, so the keyboard kind of flexes. Um, the the keyboard itself is not as responsive as I would hope it to be. Uh, but mm-hmm. it has a 1080p display. It has two gigs of RAM. 
it, it's an actual leak. Like if you were just a regular average user and you don't have to work, you don't care about the grandma and moms. Right. Yeah. People who are just kind of using it in, in a casual approach and then they don't care if they, how fast they can type. In those cases, it's it's perfectly fine. It can provide what they need. But for me, there was a little bit of issues where it's like if it was just a little bit more expensive with a little bit better hardware and build, I would be so excited and ecstatic about using it. And this is essentially exactly what they're doing with this new this Pinebook Pro. Yeah, having better build quality, better parts, uh, even things that this this laptop doesn't have, like having USB C and NVMe. Like I, I am super excited about this, and I also agree that I will probably get this as soon as it comes out, which is not even that Whoa, far Michael away. Michael will spend money. Well, I mean, I'll ask them for a discount coupon code or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes more sense. Uh, absolutely, yeah. So it's getting a little bit late in the afternoon, Ryan. So before the sun goes down, can we go into the gaming? <laughs> okay. How about we talk about at sundown? Because that game's been released for Linux. What a great segue there, Zeb. Um, so we've got a brand new game. Well, a brand new shooter out here that you can check out at sundown. Shots in the Dark is out for Linux from the developer Mild Beast Games. This is a very unique game as it's described as a hide-and-seek shooter where the maps are covered in darkness and you know, you're trying to basically find where your enemies are before you get killed. It's a four-player compete deathmatch which just sounds so awesome. I really do want to play this game. It has both local and online multiplayer abilities, and you have character progression to keep you coming back for more so you can level up, get new weapons, unlock maps, all of that kind of cool stuff there. It looks like it's going to be an absolute blast. Listen, you have small kids, Noah, so certainly you've played some hide-and-seek here. Hide-and-seek the blast. Imagine being in a game. You get some guns. You get your character all you see is darkness. You're scouting around. Boom. There's Michael. You get a chance to shoot him. What do you do? You blast him away. That's what you do. <laughs> Why am I the target in this scenario? I don't, You're the target in pretty <laughs> much every scenario? Every scenario. Exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, wow. No, but this has native Linux support. So sometimes we talk about games that work on Proton and things and you can get to play in Steam. But this is a developer who created a very good game. Even Zeb would approve. It's not pixelated graphics. Uh, that you can have a lot of fun playing. Well, it's really clever because you can't see the graphics because it's dark. Well, shut up, Seb. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes it's dark, but when you start shooting, it lights up. Yeah, that's how you see your enemies, but then they hear you, and now you've got a chance somebody else is going to kill you. Have you? Do you guys not play hide-and-seek in England? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, but not with shotguns and pistols. Well, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah, you're you missing have in America lately. <laughs> All right. So another game that you, you might like, it's not pixelated, but it does have an interesting design approach, and that's Mean Green's Plastic Warfare. And it's been released on Linux before, but they had some issues, but now it's back. It's, it's working uh, just fine. I actually tried it uh, recently. Uh, it's, it's a really fun game because of how ridiculous it is. But you, the Mean Green is basically you're playing as army men, the green army men, like if you were as a kid, the little toys. You are playing in a variety of different locations, most of which involve like a uh, like a toy room or a kitchen or some other random place where it's just so like, awesome. Yeah, where an army man might be. Uh, it's 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 really cool game. Uh, there's the it's not much of a, a single player game because mostly it's just it's like really heavily a multiplayer. And when you play with your friends on this game, it is ridiculously fun. Uh, but it it is more of a like a party game, so I think it's the majority of the time it would be more it'd be more fun to play the party game. 
and it's only five dollars on Steam, so it's it's definitely you know worth checking out. Yep, and I picked up a copy for a couple of you on here. Uh, the game because I cannot wait to have a green versus tan army man plastic battle <laughs> with all of you blowing up your plastic figures across the screen. It just sounds awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The only thing I found was uh, I played the tutorial to learn how to do it. And just to be a warning, you, depending on your hardware setup, you might have a weird glitch in the tutorial where it, the, the textures don't fully load. Like I had a couple issues where the 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 sides of the the map uh, loaded fine for the uh, to, to, even when you walked into those sides you you got the textures but otherwise it was just weird like neon colored effect like aluminum neon effect thing that was really awkward but as soon as you <laughs> play the game online that's gone and it fixes itself so okay. it, it was well, just yeah because I only played online I skipped the tutorial because I don't read manuals as you know or listen to them <laughs> or anything else. So I went straight in there and started playing. Naturally, naturally. Yeah. And let's let's face it, the last time you tried a tutorial, it didn't go too well. What are you talking about, Seb? Artifact. A card game? <laughs> Just because I lost in the tutorial of a game doesn't mean I'm bad at gaming. <laughs> it does. Okay, then. So let's get on to the uh, software spotlight this week. Um, and although I'm not a coder in any way, shape, or form, I have heard of... Visual Studio Code. It seems to be one of the go-to um, software pieces that people go to. And yes, it's made by Microsoft, but it's also completely open source and one of the most recommended IDE environments out for Linux. So I'm just going to hand this over to one of you guys who does do coding and can let me know why it's so good. So who's going to take it on? I'll, I'll jump in there. Um, I uh, I don't code myself. In fact, every time I've ever tried to code, it's turned out to be a, a disaster. However, I'm I'm learning. I, I'm slowly being taught by some of the folks that work at AltaSpeed. Um, they are teaching me how to do this. Now, I had a chance to speak with uh, one of our developers who formerly worked uh, in an exclusively Microsoft environment, uh, only developing uh, Microsoft SQL stuff. And uh, I was talking to him about Visual Code Studio, and he said, listen, here's the thing. If you have ever used uh, Visual Studio, you will quickly find that it is just the best IDE environment out there anywhere. And people that are used to developing in a Windows environment, typically people who develop people, typically people who develop in a Windows environment are developing specifically for Windows, right? Anybody that develops on the server, they're probably developing in Linux anyway. And so he said, what's happened is you have this split. There are people out there that know that this really fantastic IDE exists, but they're only working in the Windows world. And there's these people that are a much wider range of developers that are working in the Linux world. That's where the vast majority of developers are, but they're not aware that some of these tools exist because they work exclusively inside of Linux. And so what Microsoft is doing here is they're fundamentally taking a really fantastic tool and making it available to everybody that's developing on both platforms. And, and so the I, I guess what we take away from this is that development on Linux and Windows is about to get much, much better. The experience for developers is, is, is about to get much better, and the ability to introduce new people into programming and developing code is going to get easier because IDEs allow that. You're not... Anytime you start to develop and you're also having to not only learn the syntax for the programming and learn the logic, but you're also having to learn how to exit out of VI kind of puts a damper on, on your development <laughs> skills, right? Right. So having an IDE 
allowing that that graphical representation being able to have step-by-step debugging where you can step through line-by-line code and stuff like that it's absolutely really fantastic so i think i think this is a a, a huge win a huge win for linux and a huge win for uh developers who uh, getting people into the that development world uh full colon exclamation mark q but i absolutely how do you get out of v bye you oh, 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 I asked you. I was like, like that's a weird transition. <laughs> You're like, what is he doing? No, I, I think this is absolutely incredible. I love that it's completely open source. If you spend any time doing different programming languages as well, one of the things that you will quickly fall in love with when you have that IDE platform that has this for your specific language is the syntax highlight, highlighting and autocomplete functionalities that are available within that IDE. Now, what happened kind of previously is you, or a lot of people will go and get individual IDEs for the individual languages that they're learning. I'll have a Python-based IDE that will highlight syntax for Python. Mm -hmm. Well, Visual Studio Code is kind of an all-inclusive IDE because you can download modules for so many languages. Half of There's so many modules available for the syntax highlighting and breadcrumbing and things. It's hard to even... Uh, imagine that many languages exist, but you just plug in those modules, boom, you now have a Python environment, boom, you now have a Visual Basic, a C environment, whatever. And it's all built in, so you never have to learn a different IDE when you're utilizing it. And did I mention it's completely open source? And on Destination Linux, we've actually had several of our developers, when we asked them some of the first tools that they download, say Visual Studio Code. That's the platform that they're building some of these distributions in. It's a fantastic product. Yeah, I've, I've mm-hmm. heard a lot of people who's who said that they use uh, Visual Studio Code, especially even developers who've been on the show. But um, I think it's I think it's really good in some in some cases. But I'm still a Sublime Text fan, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So this syntax hi- highlighting you're talking about is this where you're starting to type a line of code and then it will highlight something because you've forgotten to put the end bracket on or something? Partially. Uh, sometimes that happens. Most of the time, it's basically your the syntax highlighting is so that you know that the system is showing you like you're in the right programming language so that the, right. the curly brackets would be responding to, let's say if you're using PHP, it will respond in the correct way rather than another language that uses a different style of curly bracket closing. So it just kind of like oh, shows okay. you that makes it makes sure you know that the the syntax highlighting is saying that you are writing the code correctly because this is where the highlights are being done. So if you have if you yeah. miss a, a single like semicolon in a line, it will make the rest of the things like be gray because it's broken and the, the highlight's not working. So you can go back and say, oh, okay, it's I, here's where it is because it used to be if you did programming, you know, 10, 15 years ago, when the syntax highlighting wasn't very common or even existed if I'm not even sure if it did in the back then, but there was a, an issue where you have one semicolon, it breaks the entire thing and it's in the middle somewhere. And then you have to just dig around for like 20 minutes just to like stare at the mm-hmm. code. And like, finally you figured out, I was like, Ugh, yeah, my dad who was a programmer. I remember we'd go on vacation and because he owned his own business, he never really went on vacation. He worked the whole time. And my mom would be driving to our vacation spot and he had a dot matrix printer printout you know, this big and he's hunting through the pages looking for the mistake in the code. And it just, in nowadays wow. you've got a program that takes care of it and hi- would highlight yeah. it and help you fix it. It's, it's amazing. It's really awesome to have. If you don't have syntax highlighting, it's not worth having having. It's not worth using as a text editor anymore at that point. If you uh, have ever entered code into your terminal and then pressed enter only to realize that you received an error because you didn't have the proper privileges, you didn't have elevated root permissions, something like that, 
then you know that the go-to response is to go to the arrow key and press up. That gives you the last command. Then you press the home key, and that jumps to the end. Then you can type sudo. Then you can hit a space. Then press end and go back to the end of the line. Then press enter, and then enter your password, and then it works. But there's an easier way. Did you know that after getting a failure of a command, you can type sudo and then a space and then exclamation, exclamation, or sudo space bang, bang. And what that will do is it bang, bang will repeat the previous command. And of course, if you add sudo to the front of it and then add bang, bang, you will sudo and then run the command that you just ran. And so oftentimes, if you're a system administrator and running through lots of commands and you needed to elevate your permission, that's a quick way to enter the very last command that you did, but add sudo privileges. How about in Vim? where you're in Vim and you're editing a file, but you needed pseudo privileges and you didn't put pseudo privileges pseudo before you type that command. Noah, is there a way that you could add pseudo privileges in there? There is, Ryan. Why don't you tell us about that? I don't remember the command, but there is a command there. (laughs) (laughs) It's something pseudo T. uh, Help me out, Michael. Somebody it's... I don't remember either. I can't (laughs) look with that. It's it's T pseudo T's. I keep thinking Teespring and it's not Teespring. It's definitely not Teespring. <laughs> I don't. That's I don't what, remember. That's the, in my head though. I don't remember what the command is, but uh, it, it it is uh, full colon W exclamation mark pseudo T percent symbol. It looks like off the top of my head, but I don't think Man, that couldn't have gotten any more complicated. Yeah, <laughs> it's but it's hey, it's V. So what do you expect? <laughs> you can add it in there without having to exit out and lose all of your changes to get back into it. There you go. Yes, that's it. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us each and every week by watching, listening, however you do it. We appreciate it from all over the world, all of the listeners out there for sending us your emails and other things. We love our patrons and we love our Kofi supporters or coffee supporters, Michael will make me say. And I just want to give a special shout out to all of those individuals there for supporting us. You can support us for as little as a dollar, which is darn near free. You can join us on Kofi if you're not a fan of Patreon out there. And so we have both options available. Both options have the exact same perks that you'll get. You'll get an unedited version of the show that you can watch. So if you miss this live version, which is another perk, you can watch the show be recorded live. And it's ridiculous. Believe me, there are so many mistakes in just this show alone. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, But they're funny. They're funny mistakes sometimes. It's definitely uh, worth watching. But you get to watch it live. And if you missed that, it's okay because you can go back and see all those mistakes and poke fun of Michael in the comments section. You can see the unedited version that will be posted out there is is within a day of us being done with it. Sometimes same day, depending on how good Michael is uh, doing. I'm always good at it. So it's one of those two days. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) And you know that you can get back to us because we keep asking you to send us those emails. And please send those emails with comments or suggestions or asking that burning question or just tell me to stop blowing my nose on the stream. Send them to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you don't fancy sending us an email, you can contact us via Telegram, Discord, Google+, Twitter, Mastodon, and then other ways that I can't even begin to think about. But thankfully, Michael does. And he has them all listed at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact so please keep those comments coming um because we love to read about them and they do make very interesting topics that we can discuss on the show so if you want some more fun uh, this the show doesn't stop here you can go check we have our own channels so you can ch- check out uh, ryan 
on his uh, youtube.com slash dosgeek where he does hard fill your brains and you do uh, he does like a lot of hardware reviews and uh, privacy security videos they're definitely worth watching and zeb you can find him on youtube at youtube.com slash zebedee boss i'll have the link in the uh, show notes because if you can't you don't know how to say it spell that uh, but Zeb, you can find Zeb just uh, while, when tearing through some caravans on Euro Truck Simulator on his streams. And you can also find my content at TuxDigital.com where I cover This Week in Linux podcast as well as some other random videos throughout the week, uh, sometimes teaching people how to pronounce different uh, applications. And Noah has his own show at Ask Noah Show where he covers – you can call in and have a call-in show where you can ask questions about business or Linux and tech-related questions like that. And you can also remember to like that smash button and share the show on social media. And if you use any applications that are podcasting applications that allow for rating the, the podcast, we would appreciate you doing that. And especially if it's five stars, you know, if it's anything other than five stars, you can just skip that part. <laughs> so everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. So everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Michael's a filthy dual booter. Thanks everyone. <laughs> that was edited. <laughs>